0: We are so glad you could join us this on our Sanctity of Life service. What a special privilege it is to be here today. Would you please stand with us? Focus on the words of the song as we sing it out today. We serve a risen, a wonderful Savior. He is stronger than anything we face because there is love that came for us. Lift it up with That's love. was not hid from thee when I was made in secret, and curiously wrought in the lowest part of the earth. Thine eyes did see my substance, yet being imperfect, and in thy book all my members were written, which in continuance were fashioned when as yet there was none. We serve a great Savior this morning. Lift it up with us as we sing out our next. Day.
1: save your skin
2: hi i'm attorney david gibbs the third with the national center for life and liberty back in two thousand five one of the leading news stories in the world was that terry shivo had died there's some young people that may not even know that name but for those of you that remember back to two thousand five you'll remember there was a battle for the life of this young lady it was a huge news story as the internet exploded covering it and it was the number one story for a period of weeks as people watched to see whether this young lady in Florida would live or die. Yet with all that coverage, tremendous confusion continues to exist to this day. Many people don't realize that Terry was alive, that she wasn't sick or dying, and she just needed food and water to stay alive. But after 13 days, that food and water had been removed and She stepped into eternity on March 31st, 2005. Our legal team fought hard. It's the only case in history to go to the U.S. Supreme Court and back twice in 10 days. But as we now look back all these years to Terry's life, death, the lawsuits, the battle, we're watching a nation that is not valuing innocent life like it should. We're in a nation right now that talks now more about the right to die as opposed to the right to live. And my friend, I always warn people, if it's the right to die you're concerned about quickly, that right turns into the duty to die. The elderly, the disabled, the less than perfect, they're not protected like they should be. At the National Center for Life and Liberty, I need to let you know a passion in my heart. I believe less than perfect people. I believe the elderly, the disabled, those that can't oftentimes speak for themselves, I believe they matter to God. In Matthew chapter 25 and verse 40, Jesus teaching the righteous in end times on Judgment Day. He says, What you have done unto the least of these, you've done unto me, referring to himself as God. That's a powerful thought. How we treat the unborn, how we treat the disabled, how we treat the elderly, the injured, how we treat those that can't speak for themselves, is how we treat God himself. At the National Center for Life and Liberty, we want to give those people a voice. We will stand with them and their families and protect their rights because your right to life, my friend, is your most fundamental right. That's why our founding fathers didn't talk about liberty and the pursuit of happiness. They understood that if you don't protect innocent life, you don't have anything. That's why they talked about life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. The National Center for Life and Liberty, it's in our very name. We'll fight for your life because it matters to the heart of God.
3: The Gospel of Matthew, chapter number 25, today for our text reading. The Gospel of Matthew, chapter number 25, is where we will be in just a moment. Let me welcome each and every one of you to our Sanctity of Life Sunday here at Ambassador Baptist Church. We're so glad to have each and every one of you with us this morning. Uh, it's hard to believe, but it was 44 years ago today uh, that Roe v.ersus Wade was passed, and our country has forever been changed. And uh, what an unbelievable thought that is. And uh, we have an opportunity as the church to stand up, Uh, for those that maybe uh, don't have a voice. And so we wanted to take an opportunity here, even today, to take some time just to uh, reflect on the freedoms that we have and how we are responsible for each and every one of the freedoms uh, that God makes available to us. And so we are so privileged today uh, to have Attorney Gibbs with us. And uh, as he stated a moment ago, he comes to us uh, from the National Center of Life and Liberty. Uh, He has served as an attorney for many, many years and has defended life on many different fronts. I'm so thankful for his testimony. Uh, I've known Attorney Gibbs for many years, and he's always been... Very kind and a great friend, and I was so privileged when he accepted our invitation to be here on this very special day. Uh, There are churches all over America right now today who are praying uh, for our country, uh, praying for the freedoms that we have. And uh, there are many who would stand against life on many fronts, and and we want to be a people who recognize, regardless of what form life takes, that we're for life. And God is the one who gives life. He's the one who takes it away, and we're trusting him in everything that goes on. And so we're blessed to have Attorney Gibbs with us. I've asked him to come and share a little bit of uh, just his story, some of what God has allowed him to do. I know that you'll find it interesting. I think it'll be a blessing and an encouragement to you. And then I also want to encourage you to be back tonight. We're going to have a forum on life and liberty this evening at 5 o'clock where we're going to have some opportunities to have a candid conversation on some of uh, what's taking place in the political landscape of our day, as well as how are our rights, what, what what's happening and what's being taken away, and, and as believers, what response? responsibilities do we have what can we do and we'll have an opportunity to ask questions and be a part of that so that'll be this evening at five o'clock but this morning i've invited him to come uh, just share his heart introduce himself to us a little bit i think it'll be an encouragement and help to you so
2: attorney gibbs you come thank you so much for being our guest we're glad to have you here with us thank you pastor and it's a joy to be here god bless and good morning Uh, how many here are morning people let me see your hand please all right how many believe it ought to be legal to shoot those people? Let me see your hand. All right. Uh, God has a sense of humor, doesn't he? Uh, he lets the morning people end up married to the night owls, okay? I think that's just for angelic entertainment. Now, I, I do have to let you in on a little life philosophy. Um, I don't like 3 and $4 gasoline. Uh, how many believe that's too expensive when you got to pump and put it in the car? It just gets aggravating after a while. But a $4 cup of coffee? that's okay with me all right so I mean if I'm <laughs> drinking it by the cup I will gladly pay for it uh, but it is certainly an honor to be here I appreciate your pastor and this church's kind invitation and just to kind of give you a quick overview um, I'm an attorney and my world kind of falls into three categories and number one I go to court um, I defend churches like this one and by the way how many are delighted your churches sued right now that's always a nice thing so we we defend churches Uh, We defend families like yours, and and you may say, well, well, Mr. Gibbs, how would my family have an issue? Well, it could be a workplace issue. Uh, How many figured out the workplaces are less faith-friendly than they used to be? Uh, It could be a life issue. We'll talk more about that, the Terry Schiavo case and other cases. Uh, It could be dealing with your children. Uh, How many figured out parental rights are under attack in America? You know, there's kind of a, I'll tell you a lie that's permeated our culture, and, and we see it play out, certainly in our schools, a lot of places, and here's the lie. The children should decide for themselves without the input of, now you can fill in the blank right there, the responsible adults. So the kids should decide for themselves without parents, without grandparents, without pastors, without teachers, without coaches, without mentors, without adults passing along values, and And how many believe that's spilling out into an unusual society right now? I mean, you've watched the the whole gender identity explosion, certainly here in California, but across the nation. I mean, little boys can go to school and today say, I want to be a girl. And with that declaration, they can change their name and their dress and and the sports and the showers and locker rooms. And and we watch all that play out, and, and they don't need parental permission. They don't need doctor's notes. It's just their right. Now, besides being morally bankrupt, how many believe that's bizarre educational policy? I mean, we're living in a world, again, where the children are deciding without the input of. Now, I grew up in a little different era. Some of the older folks here remember this. How many remember when people, not your parents, could spank you? How many remember those days? Some of the young eyes are looking at me like, what? That happened? That that sounds awful. Well, you know, it, it would... Uh, How many remember when teachers could spank and churches could spank, schools and uh, neighbors, friends, relatives? Let's let's just be candid. A total stranger could deck you, and your mother would go, thank you, he needed that. I mean, it was just kind of like, you know, we never knew where the next whack was coming. And by the way, if your parents ever spanked you by mistake, did they apologize back then? No, they had clever lines, like, I'm just getting you for something you got away with before I didn't know about. Like, there was this, like, little beating bank account to remain funded. And and then if I ever got spanked by somebody not my parents, I had one prayer in life. You might know what that prayer is. I didn't want my parents to find out. He got it. Um, Because I would explain to my mother how my civil rights had been violated, and she would re-violate my rights. It never worked for me ever. But we're watching across the nation where your right as mom or dad to make decisions for the children increasingly coming under attack. And so we go to court and we we defend families like yours. Uh, We also defend cases that are in the public interest. Oftentimes these are government cases. Um, Here would be one uh, that's coming up in the next couple of weeks. Um, Is the name Jesus still constitutional in America? And by the way, how many believe Jesus ought to be constitutional? And uh, it's, it's coming up actually out of North Carolina. It's uh, being litigated in Virginia where the Fourth Circuit sits. That's the court under the Supreme Court. And it's a, a government meeting case. And at the beginning of their meetings, they let the commissioners either open with a moment of silence, a poem, or a prayer. And some of them open with prayers, and they close their prayers with these words. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Now, most of you've heard that before. That's a traditional matter. Of fact, you've probably heard it in a service. It's the traditional Christian ending. It is meaningful. It's not a vain repetition. The Bible talks about we pray in the name of Jesus to access the Father. Well, uh, the ACLU has taken the position that the mention of the name Jesus is unconstitutional. Now you say, why do they hate Jesus so much? What they don't like about Jesus is Jesus said there's only one way to heaven. Now, by the way, how many agree with Jesus on that? And lovingly and respectfully, if you disagree with that, we're going to encourage you to think about it, because that's what this church is all about. We believe that Jesus is the Son of God, Savior of the world, and and so just the mere mention of his name is finding increasingly litigious, and so those are the type of cases that we get involved with. Uh, Number two, we work in Washington, D.C. Now, how many believe Washington's a little bit of a mess? Okay, you might have noticed there's a new president. The whole thing's kind of flipped upside down. Everybody's trying to figure out where it goes. And, and, and we go in there, and, and we talk about faith and family issues, but we also try to remind the government um, that it was intended to be a limited government. Uh, how many believe all three branches are kind of out of control? I mean, whether you're the presidency, the Congress, they should be balancing the budget. Uh, how many believe a government that takes in $2 trillion, that's a lot of money, shouldn't be spending over $3 trillion. Uh, How many know three is more than two? (laughs) Y'all ought to run for Congress. You'd help them out. I mean, the reality is we live in a world where they're just spending like it. And and by the way, it's getting kicked down to us, the, the working class taxpayers, the younger generation. I mean, they need to figure that out. And then the Supreme Court, they were to be the least powerful. Now, whenever I'm before the Supreme Court, I realize we're a long way here from the Supreme Court. So if you ever visit the building, uh, it's old-timey it looks like a high school gym where they kind of sit uh, like a little theater there's curtains in the back and and uh, the supreme court justices just so you know there's currently eight generally there should be nine but when they're there they're appointed for life and and how many believe that means some of them are very old i often view it like nursing home ministry walkers wheelchairs life support oxygen hope they stay awake you know hope they don't drool uh, you try to keep them engaged but the, the reality is the, the Supreme Court has way more power than it was ever intended to have. So our uh, Washington, D.C. office works to um, try to encourage the government to restrain itself, to follow the Constitution. Uh, matter of fact, tonight I've got a book that I'll, uh, during the open forum, it's called Understanding the Constitution. And And by the way, how many believe one of the reasons why we're losing our liberties is we don't know what they are anymore? And so... I'll make you a little bit of a deal, okay? Uh, If you come back tonight and you sign up to get our newsletter, you can get a free copy of the book. How many like the words free book? That sounds like a good deal. (laughs) Now, you say, well, I come every Sunday night. Well, good. We're excited to see you. If if you say, I don't ever come Sunday night. Well, make an exception. Yeah, okay, you know, we'd love to have you come out. And again, it's going to be kind of an open forum, so you guys will get to ask questions and dialogue, and, and, and we'll take any questions you want. Now, if you're sitting by your spouse I would kind of recommend you not ask, like, what the divorce legal standards are in California, okay, <laughs> it's going to make for a rough week for you. But the, the reality is um, you've got a lawyer working for you for free. How many believe that's a good deal? So uh, be glad to interact with you. And by the way, it might be a cool service if you've got a friend or a neighbor, relative, somebody that's kind of on the edge, it's going to be hard to get them to come on a Sunday morning. You might be able to say, hey, we've got a legal open forum attorney taking questions at our church. Would you like to come? And that might be something you could think about inviting somebody tonight. They might enjoy it. So I'll look forward to this evening. But that book, Understanding the Constitution, will be here, and you'll have an opportunity to get it. And that's what we try to encourage folks to do in Washington. And then number three, we try to be a voice in the culture. I do that through radio, television. We do a lot of interviews and different things, preaching in churches, uh, seminars. So We train churches on how to stay out of legal difficulty. Uh, how many believe churches ought to do everything God 's called them to do, but how many believe there's a smart way and a less smart way to do everything and so uh, encouraging churches like for example, how many believe children ought to be safe in a church environment and, and so making sure that ministries have best practices and and so that 's the heartbeat of our ministry at the National Center for Life and Liberty, and uh, you saw the video and, and that kind of intros a little bit into a, a sanctity of life discussion this morning and 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 why do we do this in January? Well, there's kind of two reasons. One is it's the beginning of the new year. Okay, January is oftentimes the the first month, and so there's always a thought about life and refocus and goals and uh, New Year's resolutions. You know, uh, how many of you decided to exercise more and eat less? Okay, and, and, you know, and how many have already broken those resolutions? All right, I I mean, that's, you know, it's kind of the beginning. So people think about life. And then your pastor already mentioned... Um, That Roe versus Wade. Now, I'll talk about that briefly. This isn't going to be real deep on the legal front, but that was a court decision that was handed down by the United States Supreme Court in 1973. And that was the case that legalized abortion in this country and also invented uh, the legal doctrine that we now call the right to privacy. And, And we'll talk about that a little bit. But the right to life and the beginning a lot of focus on January because people say, you know, this is a moment to really look back and to think about. And, and it does show you just how powerful the Supreme Court is. With that one court decision, over 60 million unborn children have lost their lives legally in America. And regardless of where you are politically on the issue, or even maybe what you're thinking about it this morning, uh, how many believe that's a lot of impact when, when you look at 60 million I mean that that's a huge number of people and when you look at the potential impact of the workforce or uh, the people that have been lost through that that one court decision is why we kind of take this time each year and look at uh, the sanctity of human life now let's start with some basics Uh, how many believe God is the giver of life and and, and why do I have to, to stop right here because That really almost runs counterculture in America, okay? I mean, you know, we'll begin with a a lot of people um, want to buy into the life is a grand accident, and that's really evolution. And by the way, how many believe evolution's captured our sciences, our uh, universities, our public schools, where, you know, if you take evolution, and and this was Darwin's thinking, uh, to its ultimate end conclusion, it's very harsh. Survival of the fittest, throw the weak away, move forward, the strong survive, the weak get trampled, crushed, gone, and the species grows, and and it's a very harsh, non-compassionate approach to life. It also has a randomness, it has an accidentalness to it. I mean, you know, over all this time, life just sort of morphed into being. And as Christians, we don't believe that. We believe not just that we were intelligently designed, but how many believe we were designed by God himself? And that God, in giving the life, does a couple things through our lives. How many believe God can bless us in our lives? And by the way, how many like the blessings of God? But how many also believe God can allow difficulties, we can call them trials, tribulations, pressures, stress. Um, It could even be physical disability or disease. And how many believe none of that comes into your life that God doesn't know about? And and those are things that we may not like as much, but how many believe they're also from God himself? And regardless of the blessing or the difficulty in your life, how many believe God and God alone should end life? And that is the fundamental Christian concept on life, that it is from God and that God is the one that should make the decisions whether your life continues or whether your life ends. Now, You live right now in a world where many people want to talk about the quality of life. And and by the way, I want quality of life. How many believe quality of life is a blessing from God? Okay. I mean, you want quality of life. I look around and see people sitting out there. I see folks that are breathing well, feeling well, moving around on your own arms and legs. You're able to hear me, see me. and, And you would say, I have a good quality of life. Now, if the next time you saw me, um, I was constrained to a wheelchair. Disease, accident, injury, something took away my ability to walk. Every one of you, and you'd watch me struggle to get up on the stage, and I'd have a wheelchair, and I'd move across in a wheelchair, unable to move on my own. Every one of you would go, you know what? Mr. Gibbs's quality of life has gone down. Last time I saw him, he could walk. Now I see him, he can't walk, he's constrained to a wheelchair. Something happened where his quality of life has gone down, and you'd be 100% correct. But now let me ask the question, has the sanctity, has the specialness of my life changed at all? And that's where in our society, things get blended a lot. We talk about quality of life, and we all want quality of life, But the reality is we are made in the image of God. And how many believe that gives us a specialness? That our existence is important in his sight. Now, you're in a country that was founded on that core principle. If you go back to the founding of America, um, our founders came from a country, predominantly England, where the government, the king, held life and death in his hands. So, so let me make it simple. If the king said, off with your head, how many believe that was not a good day for you? Why? The king, the government just said, you die. Now, it could be for all sorts of reasons. You could be a bad character and maybe deserve to die. But it could also just be you were a pain to him, you got on his nerves, you were a threat to him. But the government, with no rights, no appeals or anything, could literally decide, you live, you die, and it was understood the government held life and death in its hands. And and by the way, as you're going to watch over the discussions in Washington, uh, how many believe our government's gotten more and more involved in health care and whether people live and die than we might want them to be? And so that was what the Founding Fathers came from. And so when they came over here, and you saw it in the video, they didn't say, we just want liberty and the pursuit of happiness. They said, we want to protect life liberty, and the pursuit of happiness because they understood something important. If you don't protect innocent life, you have no other liberty. If life isn't protected, does free speech matter? Does freedom of religion matter? If we're all going to die tomorrow, yeah, we had a nice service today, but we're going to die tomorrow. many of us in all your rights and liberties emanate from that protection of innocent life. That's why the founding fathers We're so passionate about protecting life. Now, they believe the Bible, so they believe God was the giver of life. They believe that life was worthy of protection. But they understood if you were to have liberty, if you were to have freedom, a a, a talking point with your uh, folks that might be pro-abortion or don't look at the world the way you do is if we don't protect innocent life, aren't we surrendering all of our liberties? Because ultimately, that is your greatest protection. Now, how did we reach where we are today? How did 1973 occur? Well, the Supreme Court had a problem, okay? If they look to the Bible, how many believe the Bible's pro-life? But if they look to the Constitution, they had another problem. The Constitution's pro-life. So they're looking at all of this, and they're trying to determine how do we, as a court, decide this case? Well, if they follow the Constitution... They would have to protect unborn life and abortion could be regulated or banned by the states. But they proceeded to invent a legal doctrine. And they came up with something that they call the right to privacy. Now, when you hear that word, hang with me here, it is a distorted word. How many understand? Sometimes society can distort a word. If I, years ago, this would be back in the 50s, said that man is gay, it would mean he was cheerful, upbeat, kind of a generous, jovial sort. Uh, how many believe if I use that same word today, it would refer to sexual orientation? Okay, if I said that man's gay, you'd immediately think, oh, well, that's a sexual orientation term. So the, the word gay morphed, it changed into something different in our society. And, and when you hear the word privacy, you think, like what I would think, Stay out of my stuff, leave me alone, don't don't get into my personal effects and let me protect or respect my privacy. But in the Roe versus Wade court decision, that's not what it meant. Okay, they kind of stole the term to make it more palatable. What the word privacy in the court decision means, you can do something unpleasant, unpopular, even in the minds of some despicable, you can take an unborn baby and end its life but you will not suffer any negative legal consequences. And this right to privacy kicked in, and all of a sudden with that one invented legal doctrine, the word privacy isn't even in the Constitution, the Supreme Court laid into place where this whole discussion of whether someone lives or dies as an unborn person, ultimately Terry Schiavo, and other things built on this, but they made it up. It was invented. Now you say, well, Mr. Gibbs, would they ever undo it? Well, it's kind of interesting. Um, a lot of the cutting-edge cases in our society right now that you've followed, um, the whole uh, homosexual rights movement, um, same-sex marriage, all of those type things, they are all built on the same doctrine. Roe versus Wade is the cornerstone of the whole homosexual rights movement. Um, back in 2003... Uh, homosexuality was a crime in 30 states, not California, but a number of the states um, still criminalized the conduct, and the homosexuals went to the Supreme Court, and they said Roe versus Wade. They said, if a woman can abort her baby and be protected, why can't we be protected too? And the Supreme Court actually expanded the right to privacy to go just beyond Um, abortion, but including the ending of the elderly, disabled, and protecting homosexual rights. How many believe there's a consequence when they come up and invent a legal doctrine? By the way, in this uh, recent election, um, Hillary Clinton, when she was in her debates, said, I would want justices on the Supreme Court that would take this doctrine, expand it, grow it, make it bigger, and that created some concern. Mr. Trump made some representations that he would try to put people on the Supreme Court that would rein it in or look back to the literal interpretation of the Constitution. So when you talk about abortion, I always encourage people to be careful. Somebody say, well, it's in the Constitution. It isn't. Well, it was a law that got passed. No, it wasn't. It it was a court case where a justice made it up. And, And by the way, made it up on some bad science, too. We won't focus a lot here, but... In that day, how many believe in 1973, the ultrasounds and the prenatal care and a lot of the information they had uh, was way less sophisticated than what we have today? And by the way, how many appreciate ministries like in your community, uh, crisis pregnancy and and um, pre-pregnancy counseling centers where folks can get good information? Because I firmly believe if you give uh, good people good information, how many believe they can go forward and make good decisions? Um, You heard in the video a little bit about the Terry Schiavo case and in that case Let me just survey how many of you remember that case from back a few years ago the the older folks younger? It's okay. You weren't paying attention. It was back in 2003, 4, 5 was kind of when it was big news And you can google it Schiavo's uh, SCHI that'll get you down the trail, but the reality is that case uh, captured worldwide media for a couple of reasons the internet was kind of exploding uh, the round-the-clock news cycle, and it, it was kind of an interesting case in this respect. Um, the big media cases ahead of Terry Schiavo dealt with celebrities and murder. Okay, um, the first big case you all remember it: O.J. Simpson. What do you got? Celebrity murder accusation. He's ultimately acquitted. You know, and all that big news round the clock. Uh, then you had Michael Jackson again, a celebrity accused of abusing kids. Scott Peterson, again, out here in California, accused of murdering his wife. You know, those were big news, you know, murder, California, celebrity, and you could see where it would generate a lot of media attention. Terry Schiavo was the oddball. Uh, She wasn't famous. It wasn't a murder case. It wasn't in California. It was sitting in Florida. It was sitting in kind of a lowly court, guardianship, probate, um, trying to figure out what to do with this disabled girl. And this kind of lowly case sort of exploded up where it would set a number of records. It was the only case to go to the Supreme Court and back twice in 10 days, and um, it got lots of attention. Um, Looking back on it, it's the only case that I've ever seen where Rush Limbaugh and Jesse Jackson agreed on something. Okay, I mean, I'll give you another. At one point, we were before the United States Senate. This was a few years back. And we got passed unanimously through the Senate. Uh, Barack Obama was in the Senate at the time. Hillary Clinton was in the Senate at the time. Ed Kennedy, now deceased, but from Massachusetts. So this was um, both a disability case where the Democrats were supportive as well as a pro-life case where the Republicans were supportive. So it it was a a very unique case in that we had allies and friends on lots of different sides. It it wasn't quite as... um, there wasn't as much acrimony between the sides because there was great concern, and and with all that media attention, what's kind of sad to me is there's still tremendous confusion. And, and most people say, well, that girl's on life support, and and the family wouldn't let her go. But having been in the room with Terry Schiavo, let me tell you a couple things. She was as alive as anybody sitting here. Okay, I mean she was functioning, she was interactive. Number two, she wasn't sick, okay? A lot of you may have aging parents or grandparents. You have to deal with um, end-of-life decisions. You know, grandma's got cancer, somebody's got heart disease, okay? And those are complicated, and you need to enter into them prayerfully, but those are end-of-life decisions with very sick people. Terry Schiavo wasn't sick. That was what made her the perfect storm. Her life expectancy was about another 30 to 40 years, okay? So you've got a girl who's alive, And you get a girl who's not sick. Now, number three, she just needed food and water to stay alive. Now, how many of you need food and water? Can I see your hand, please? You didn't raise your hand, you just lied in church. It's okay, but everybody needs food and water. And by the way, the the water is what you need more than the food, but the the reality is that's what keeps you alive. Generally, you take away food and water. We say somebody starves to death. It's really dehydration after about six to seven days. And and all Terry needed was food and water. And interestingly, once they removed her food and water, um, she went 13 days, which I think demonstrated a will to live and also modeled how healthy she was. And um, on March 31st, 2005, I had this sad assignment of actually announcing to the world uh, that Terry Schiavo had died. Now, from 2005 till today, how many understand we are not protecting life like we used to. We have allowed, certainly here in California, you've just watched the, the right to die legislation get signed by the governor, and it, it's all moving where our healthcare is now deciding, is your quality of life sufficient that we are going to allow you to continue to live? And, and I am a huge believer that the right to die always turns into the duty to die. Okay, grandma may have the right to die, But how many understand when there's all the pressure and people want to inherit the money, people don't want to go visit her, the doctors say do the right thing, this will be too expensive. How many understand there ends up being a lot of pressure when you quit protecting innocent life where people will start watching their life not be protected like it once was. Now the Shivo case, we did a a lot of work, a lot of effort, a lot of energy and and, and afterwards somebody came up to me. It was not a bad person so I don't want to I don't want to make you angry at the person, but I'm using it to illustrate it. He said, uh, "Mr. Gibbs, you, you did a lot. You, you were, you know, it, it, the, the court cases and the issues, everything was a, a good case. But he said, "Was it really worth it to do all of that for somebody like her?" Now, I kind of knew what he meant, but I, I wanted to kind of poke at it a little bit. So I said, "Well, what do you mean by that? Well, you know, I mean, let's be real, I mean, she's not going to get a job, she's not going to pay taxes, she's not going to pay a lawyer, I mean, matter of fact, without a lot of therapy, she's never even going to be able to say thank you, was it really worth it to put that much effort and energy into somebody like her? Now, the answer to that is people like her matter to God himself. You have your Bibles, it's in your bulletin too. Look at Matthew chapter 25. And it's kind of an interesting passage, okay? It starts at verse 35. And I won't read it word by word to you, but let me contextualize it for you for just a moment. Jesus is teaching. And he's explaining to the people. He says on judgment day, God is going to reward the righteous. And so, man, their ears perk up. Man, I want to learn what's God going to reward on Judgment Day, and Jesus tells the story. And and you can see it there, you know, for I was in hunger day. I mean, I was hungry. You gave me something to eat. Now, that's kind of a, a small thing. I was thirsty. You gave me something to drink. I was a stranger. You took me in naked. I had no clothes, and you put clothes on me. I was sick, you visited me. I was in prison, you came unto me. And, and you'll notice what happens in the verse here. It's continuing. The righteous are confused. Okay, now, I don't know about you. I mean, I, mean, I guess I'm an attorney. If God starts rewarding me on Judgment Day, I'm going to bluff and act like I know what he's talking about. I'll be like, yeah, that Lord, that was me. Uh, but not these guys, okay? They're righteous, okay? And, and they're, you know, I mean, you can kind of see, God, you were invisible, Weren't you a spirit? I mean, you weren't sitting in a human form. I mean, God, how did we give you something to eat? Lord, I don't remember giving you something. You went to prison? And, and, and the, the righteous kind of come back at him and say, God, how did we do all these things? And it's in verse 40, and you can focus your attention there, that Jesus pulls the lesson and says unto them, inasmuch as you've done it unto one of the least of these say those words with me least of these say it one more time least of these my brethren you've done it unto me what an interesting thought what you have done unto the least you are doing for God himself now let's just talk candidly what we as a nation did back in 2005 to Terry Schiavo, we did to God himself. What we're doing in the abortion um, clinics and other places across this nation, we're doing to God himself. Our nursing homes, our elderly, our health care, what you've done unto the least, you've done to God himself. Now, can I tell you, we live in a world right now where the least of these are counterculture. I mean, I'll tell you what America says right now. Don't waste your time on people who can't do something for you, and everything is negotiated, you know, I'm in, win-win, I'll I'll be there with you. You scratch my back, I'll scratch your back. Okay, I'm in. How much do I get paid? And you know what God's kind of saying here? And it's not an ugly thing. It's just a candid thing. He says, if you're going to live your life where everything is negotiated selfishness, negotiate your best deal because that's all you're going to get. I will not reward you for all eternity when it's all down here all about you. But when you do it for the least of these, I, God, will take careful note, and I will reward you for all eternity. Now you say, well, David, who are the least of these? I'll give you a simple definition you can take with you. Anybody who can't do something back for you. So you say, well, would that be a poor person? Yeah, probably. Uh, Could that be somebody else's kid? Yeah, probably. Uh, Could that be an unborn baby? Yeah. Uh, Could that be an elderly person? Yeah, probably. Could that be a disabled person? Sure, they could be in that category. And when you go in and you say, you know what, I'm going to serve, and by the way, God even says small things. You gave him a meal. You you gave him a little something to drink. You just helped him put some clothes on. You did it for the least of these I God will reward you for all eternity as if you did it for me how many believe we need to open our eyes to the least of these you know you you can live in a society where I I mean I get pulled into this I have to be careful you you get busy and you got things to do you got places to go you got things to be done and but all of a sudden life can be just very quick and and again, the least of these are all around us. By the way, how many believe some of the workers that are over in the children's service right now, how many believe they're in the least of these ministry right now? They are. I mean, the reality is those, those kids, I, let me assure you, those kids are not able to, to pay them. Some of those kids are high maintenance. By the way, how many know what high maintenance means? I mean, high energy, going. And, and you know what? And, they, and, and they're going to stand up on Judgment Day, and they're going to hear from God and God's going to say, you know what? While my parents were over in church, you did nice things for me. You taught me the Bible. You have, and, and they're going to be like, what? Lord, how do we do that when you did it for them? You did it for me. Anybody who can't do something back for you. And by the way, how many believe we need to open our eyes to the least of these all around us? And, and then all of a sudden the unborn become way more real. All of a sudden the elderly, disabled, we begin to say, you know what? I'm not just doing it for them because maybe they won't even be able to say thank you because of their disability, their age, or their inability to process. But when I do it for them, I'm doing it for God Himself. God cares about the least of these. Give you a final thought, and we'll be done. We need to make all of our decisions when it comes to life and these issues in light of the eternity to come. After the Shibo case, a lot of people got the message, this was kind of the secular message, get a living will, and I'll, I'll just tell you the nutshell, it's a medical document, and it's kind of a more pro-death document. It's kind of like, you know, if I start to look blue, don't keep me alive, let me die. It, it, it's more oriented that way. And, and a lot of people got more pro-death, in their thinking like don't try to save me I don't want to end up ever you know in a situation where I'm not able-bodied or well and there was a fella that was that way I mean he he was kind of a weird guy he'd get his family together at Thanksgiving or Christmas and he was gruff and he'd be kind of like now listen everybody want it real clear I don't want 911 called, I don't want any doctors, I don't, if I ever look sick, just let me go. And, and he was that way, and the family would be like, well, you're going to live a long time, it's okay. And, and he was also lost. He didn't trust Jesus as a Savior. I don't need, I didn't need him down here, I don't need him when I die, I'll just do my own thing. And he was just kind of one of these crusty kind of guys. Well, one day, his daughter got the phone call. Ma'am. Your dad appears to have had a heart attack. The first responders are there. The initial ambulance is there. But we need to know your instructions. Now, she's got a little bit of a moral dilemma, doesn't she? Because she knows exactly what he wants. I mean, she knows that he wants to go and doesn't want to be kept alive. And, but she also knows with that sentence off her lips. She has destined her lost father to a Christless eternity. She said, Mr. Gibbs, the phone felt like it hung there forever, and these are just the phone calls and the shock. She probably wasn't very long. But I had to make a split-second decision, and she said, I decided right then to disobey my dad. I said, do everything you can to keep him alive. We're coming. And she and her husband raced to the hospital, and they would later find her father there in ICU and, and, again, on a breathing machine and on a heart machine and a lot of mechanical assistance to keep this very, very sick man alive. And while he was not unconscious, he was heavily medicated and could not talk because of the things around his nose and mouth. But they began to talk to him and he would blink and he could squeeze his hand. And they, they said, Dad, we're not here to upset you, but you do know who we are. I'm your daughter, this is your son. Oh, yeah, he squeezed. He, he recognized who they were. And, and Dad, this is a hard thing to say, but we think you're going to die today. Today will be your last day here. And, and the man, again, acknowledged in the ways he could that he understood how desperately sick he was and that he didn't have much time. And they said, then, Dad, we're here because you've always said no, and we can't make you do something you don't want to do. But before you die, would you at least reconsider trusting Jesus Christ as your Savior? And for the first time ever, with squeezes and blinks and a little bit of a head nod, he acknowledged a willingness To trust christ well the son-in-law kind of took the lead and again praying with the father you know dad you know you've been a sinner squeeze my hand and he'd squeeze and and you know there's a price for your sin and jesus paid that price and would you trust him as your savior and in a simple sinner's prayer with the dad again just squeezing and blinking the man trusted jesus christ as his savior They went out in the hallway exhausted, and the son-in-law was pumped. He was like, honey, we we just led your dad to Christ. The daughter, quite honestly, less excited. Oh, I I know. I I just wish I could hear his voice. He's been so gruff. He's always said no. What if that wasn't him? What if that was the medicine? I mean, do you think he really did it? I I mean, she was kind of torn up because these are tough moments, and the husband a good man, he said, honey, no, 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 you got to understand, like the thief on the cross, it can be quick, it can be right at the end, God saved your dad, we have to, we just have to put our faith, we've trusted Christ, Jesus just saved your dad, childlike faith, that's all it takes, and she says, boy, I, I hope you're right, and, and so she tried to encourage herself a little bit. A few more hours went by, the doctors declared it hopeless, and they said, you know, he'll, he'll never be able to live and function again, it, it's time to remove the life support. And, and so the family gathered around, and, and they waited while the machines were shut down, and they waited for her father to die. Interesting in this case, he didn't die. Sometimes the body does that. It re-kicks. It, it will actually kind of spark when all the machinery comes off. He would actually live another two years. Would actually go home, live by himself the last two years of his life went to church every single week the last two years of his life. For the first time ever, he read through the Bible for himself. He would pray for his family every day. And every time now, he'd get the family together at a holiday or a time where they'd be fellowshipping. He'd say, thanks for ignoring my wishes and making sure I knew Jesus before I died. Two years later, he did die. Now the daughter said, Mr. Gibbs, I went over to his coffin and I pinched twice. I didn't need any more surprises. (laughs) Wanted to be sure we didn't need any more. But she said, we had no doubt that Daddy was with Jesus for all eternity. You know, you can look at these life issues and, you know, you you can almost sometimes be a a little, I don't know, discouraged or, or sad or look at the trends in our society or how people will, will lie or castigate different things. But I do remind you that at one point, slavery and discrimination based on the color of your skin was allowed in this country and the Supreme Court said that was okay. Uh, at one point, ladies were treated differently and weren't allowed to vote, and, and we're, we're told that only the men could vote, and, and again, the courts said, well, that's okay, we, we allow that, and, and, and you know what happened, ultimately justice, ultimately what's right, ultimately what people understand to be right, that we're all equal in the eyes of God, it doesn't matter the color of your skin or your gender, that you should be treated fairly under the law, and and you know that those cases were ultimately overturned and, and justice prevailed in this country. As we sit here today, I look back at 1973 and I, the unborn aren't protected. I look at how that's morphed into the elderly, the disabled. 2005, Terry Schiavo wasn't protected. And here we sit in 2017. And I would tell you, regardless of what the courts are saying, It's unjust. But how many believe if enough good people in America, if enough churches like this one, say, you know what, life is a gift from God. It's a stewardship. It's something to be protected. Our founders knew that. These invented legal doctrines shouldn't matter. Matter of fact, God himself says what we do unto the least of these, we've done unto him. And if we would have the heart of God for the least of these, And if we'd make all our decisions in light of the eternity to come, how many believe we could see justice prevail once again in this country? Would you bow your heads and close your eyes for just a moment? As you're sitting here this morning, I would just ask you in the quietness of your own heart to just think about and appreciate life Without that gift, none of us sit here this morning. That God gave it to you. Our founding fathers respected it, cared about it. It is really our most fundamental protection beyond anything under our first, second, or any of the other amendments to our Constitution. And then think about the least of these that are potentially in your world. You say, I don't have time for that, but maybe just this morning the Lord would open your heart. Maybe you say, you know what, I could get involved in helping somebody who can't help me back. Never thought about how God blesses that for all eternity. What I do for them, I'm doing for God himself and then making all your decisions in light of the eternity to come. Father, we come before you now. And Lord, we celebrate life. The gift of breath, our hearts beating, our bodies functioning. And Lord, we thank you that we're in a nation that respected it and protected it. But Lord, now there's things that seem so dangerous and unjust but Lord our prayer is that we could be your voices our prayer is that we could be their voices those that can't speak for themselves Lord give us your heart for the least of these and Lord let us make all our decisions in light of the eternity to come and Lord our prayer in America in Fresno in other nations around the world that your values, your name would be lifted up. And Lord, that in this area of life, and the sanctity of it, that justice would once again prevail. We pray in the great and matchless name of Jesus, and together we all said, amen. Thank you so much. Would you join
3: me in thanking Attorney Gibbs for being our guest here today? Thank you so much, Before we conclude today, we have just, man, this is exciting, and I just wanted to share it with our entire church family. Many of you for the last several years have been praying with a family in our church, uh, the Diazes, Roman and Maria. They've been here for a long time. I've had the privilege of marrying them uh, several years back and it uh, was a joy just to see them grow in their uh, relationship with Christ. And, and those of you who have maybe been in their small groups have known one of the big prayer requests that they've had over these past several years uh, is that the lord would give them a baby and in his sovereignty uh, he's chosen up to that point not to answer that particular prayer but uh, something very very special over the last couple of years to begin to take place and they begin to feel in their own heart that the lord was leading them to adopt and so they were going through all of the hoops in order to make that a reality and for the last several years they have been preparing themselves and now over the last few months have really just kind of been in a waiting game to see what the Lord might open up and the doors of opportunity made available to them. And uh, last week they got an incredible phone call, we're super excited for them, but uh, nine, nine months ago a, a lady had a decision to make on whether or not she would abort the child or whether she would take the baby to completion and put it up for adoption and I'm so thrilled that In this particular case, the lady decided to take the baby to term. And uh, because of that, not only does the baby get to experience the blessing of life, But we got to see an answer to prayer along with Roman and Maria. So, uh, Roman, Maria, I think you're in here somewhere. Would you come up and join me here with little Hannah? And uh, we are so excited for them. I wanted to introduce uh, them to you. Many of you know Roman, and uh, Maria Maria serves in our children's ministry. Roman serves in our baptism ministry. They named Hannah from the story of 1 Samuel. We'll talk about this every once in a while, but in 1 Samuel, there's a lady in the Bible who desperately wants a baby, and God wasn't answering that prayer of hers, and she begged profusely. And finally, God answered a prayer and gave them a baby, Samuel. And uh, so they decided, Roman and Maria, decided to name their little daughter uh, in light of that story. And so today we have with us uh, Hannah Diaz, and we're so excited about you guys. We're thrilled for how God has answered this prayer. I know many of you have been praying for them, and I wanted to take an opportunity just to kind of make a moment to have a prayer of dedication with this family for this baby. There are some of you in this room right now, and uh, you know what it feels like to go through a journey of Desiring children and having God postpone that. And uh, to see this answer to prayer has been incredibly exciting. We are thrilled for this family. And uh, if you've not yet had a chance to see little Hannah, she's just the cutest little thing in the world. So I hope that you will pray for her. Uh, There's still some things to come together. So pray for them as they go through and finish this process uh, of adoption. But uh, I thought, you if you would, would you join me here today in praying for this family, praying for this baby? and that the Lord would bless them here in the days to come. So let's go to the Lord in prayer at this time. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, we love you, and we thank you for your divine sovereignty. Lord, though oftentimes you allow us to go through seasons and valleys where we don't know what you're doing, and we can't make sense of why you're allowing certain things to be. And In the Diaz's case, I I know we've spent time praying, wondering, Lord, why maybe you wouldn't allow them to have a child, and yet... In moments like these, we see that you had a grander plan. And Lord, I'm so thankful for just uh, an opportunity we have, Lord, to, to see Hannah here today. Lord, and I pray that you would bless Roman and Maria as they raise this baby in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. The adoption process is a wonderful picture of the Father's love for us as his children. Lord, you chose us out of the muck and mire of the world, and and you've redeemed us. Lord, adopted us unto yourselves and made us your children, your joint heirs. And Lord, we're so thankful, Lord, that this adoption, Lord, between Roman and Maria and Hannah, Lord, it's such a wonderful picture of of the process, Lord, of how you have adopted us into your family. Lord, I pray that you would bless them. I pray that you would just be with this baby. I pray that you would help her to grow in health and in strength, in the nurture and admonition of the Lord, and that very soon, Lord, she would come to a personal realization of her need for a savior. And so, Lord, I pray that she would be saved. And Lord, we're thankful for what you have done in this family, uh, for the blessing that they've been to our church family. And I pray that we as a church family would rally around them to be a blessing in the days ahead. I pray that you'd bless this uh, family in, in, in a way that only you can, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, we love you guys. We're thankful for you. I'm going to invite them to make their way to the lobby. I know many folks will want to greet you and congratulate you, and I hope you have a wonderful time. I'm going to ask Brother Gibbs if you would join them in the lobby, and uh, I know many folks will want to greet you as well. I'm going to ask Pastor Nick to come as he gets ready here to close the service. Here he is ready to go, and uh, we'll wrap this thing up.
0: Well, this time we're going to continue worshiping uh, by giving of our tithes and offerings. Uh, The truth is we give because Christ has adopted us. And when we were the least of these, God came down from heaven and he bled and he died for our sins and adopted us into his family. And because of that, we want to give uh, back to the Lord through our tithes and offerings. Uh, If you're visiting here, though, we didn't invite you here so that you feel obligated to give. We're just so glad that you came to worship with us this morning on Sanctity of Life service. Uh, just a few quick announcements. Be sure to come back tonight at 5 o'clock for the uh, forum. where We'll have a chance to ask uh, Pastor, or Attorney Gibbs some of these uh, questions. And then also tonight, after the evening service, there will be a children's uh, ministry meeting. So if you serve in Kidsville, we'll meet right over in the Kidsville after the evening service. Well, we've already had a word of prayer. So as up next place, the ushers will take the offering.
3: I'm Jenny, and you're watching Up Next. I want to take a few minutes to let you know what's going on here at Ambassador Baptist Church. We are a church that provides three unique environments for you every week. On Sunday mornings, you will enjoy Christ-honoring worship and Bible